before Dre oh. tells us all the secrets of boxing yeah. that we can share. Welcome back. One day late, but I think we're all happy with the reason why we're a day late, and that is because we had boxing on a Sunday. Before we get to that, let me introduce who's here on the podcast this week. I got the walking boxing encyclopedia and the man who holds all the secrets of boxing. You guys all know him, Boxrec Gray, who does not like that name, by the way. <laughs> it's my fault. Hey, guys. Uh, uh, thanks for having me back on the show, Angelo. really appreciate it. Oh, man. We, we love talking to you. We're just going to have a good time talking about fights today. And then... Oh, on the other side, we have the one and only, my good friend, 1% Lex. Lex, how's it going? The most extreme one. Oh, we uh, we had a little uh, discussion beforehand because I called Lex extreme, and he does not believe he is extreme. I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm real middle of the road. You dress like Le- uh, like uh, Jeff Hardy in I'm the late I'm 90s. I'm only extreme when it, when it comes to Bomb Squad. That I mean, we all know that Lex, certified <laughs> member of the Bomb Squad, here to discuss all things boxing this week. I'm Angelo, I'm the host. Thank you guys for picking us. Uh, I hope you guys hit that subscribe button. And if you don't, listen to the podcast. And if you like it, hit that subscribe button. All right. But we're not going to tell you what to do. You guys are here to hear us talk about the. We had a lot of fights this weekend. We have even more fights next weekend that we got to get to. So first up, how do you guys feel about boxing on a Sunday night? Uh, personally, liked it a lot. I wish they would really? do it more. Yep. What? Like, why? Um, just it's just different. I don't want it every weekend, but it's just it's just nice to have that too. I don't watch football really, so I don't really center my Sundays around the NFL. I mean, I I, I follow football a little bit, but I'm not like. I don't watch every Patriots game yeah, or whatever. Um, so it's just, fan. I know, Yikes. right? I know the worst. Um, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's just nice to have something to look forward to on Sunday, in addition to Saturday. Like it's really that basic. Um, but again, I, I don't think they need to, you know, do it all the time. But I, I like, you know, uh, uh, a couple times a year having a big Sunday card for sure. What about you, Lex? Um, I don't mind it, but I did spend a lot of time thinking about this particular fight being on a Sunday and I feel like it may have hurt sales and the only reason I say that is like Tank's audience are not people that probably follow the marketing they probably just know Tank weekend boxing pay-per-views are on Saturday mm-hmm. I had a I had a, a friend who was texting me and he asked he's like yo what do you what do you do on Saturday night for the Tank fight and I'm just like it's Sunday and he's like what's well, Sunday so I mean personally I, I don't mind like if it's someone I like I'm gonna watch it doesn't matter when Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday, Saturday, whatever. But overall, I think I'm curious to know what the sales are. I think for some fighters, it may be better than others. Well, it doesn't look like it had any effect on the amount of people that showed up in those seats because that was a packed house. But I would say that initially, I wasn't that sold on the idea of Sunday night, but I was like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll give it a we'll give it a shot. We've had cards in the past that have done well on, on Sundays, uh, specifically the Caleb Plant versus Jose Uzcategui fight, which did really well on a Sunday night. And so 
But me personally, like the first fight, I was kind of out of it. Like I, I felt like tired. Um, definitely had Sunday like feeling, but thank God they put Derevianchenko and Adamas in the second slot because that perked me right up and it felt like a Saturday <laughs> night. I actually kind of liked it at the end of the day. Like I would prefer like I was thinking like what if we just have these kind of like we have like four weekends a year where the Saturday fight is like an appetizer, a good fight. Like name guys in the main event like a Devin Haney against Jojo Diaz and then Sunday's a, a big pay-per-view, something like that. I think like that would be really cool. I, I think that they should trial this more and uh, see if it actually works. We'll see when the sales come in though because obviously that's going to determine everything. But anyway, did the main event over or under deliver for you, Gray? Over delivered. Uh, thought it was uh, fun. Uh, I thought Cruz exceed my expectations. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not like the fight of the year or anything, but it was uh, really interesting to watch him uh, yeah, just find ways to survive and have even success in the later rounds. So I was uh, very pleased uh, with the fight. Uh I think Cruz should be really proud of himself, even though he came up short. But yeah, great effort from him. Uh, I thought Tank did a uh, a really good job figuring out how to win with you know one hand for. It sounds like it was probably for half the fight at least. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was not dull or anything like that. I was very happy. What about you, Lex? I think it was right on par for me. I I, I was amazed at how many people were underrating Cruz coming into this fight. I feel like that Marcos Maidana all-out aggressive blitzkrieg kind of fighter is the hardest to deal with in boxing. And so I I, I expected a really tough fight. Um, Tank showed a lot of wrinkles to his game that we haven't seen before. And, and like Gray said, with one hand. So it, it was a very dramatic fight. I didn't find it like super exciting in terms of action. Uh-huh. But it was just super dramatic to wait and see if Tank would clip him or would Cruz clip him. Um great fight i had a a lot of fun watching it for sure yeah i think you guys are basically have covered the whole of it like i think the main event certainly at at worst met the expectations but most likely i think it over delivered and part of that is because so many people had very low expectations of what uh cruz was going to bring into the ring i didn't see this as a fight that tank was just going to go in there and and really just bust cruz up and I don't know why people thought that. I guess, you know, it comes with the territory of being a guy like Tank, where if you get a certain caliber of unknown opponent in the ring, there's this expectation of how Tank would perform. And if you look at his recent performances, you know, you would expect certain things. Like, I guess a Deontay Wilder fight, you you expect somebody to get brutally knocked out. And any time, for, with every passing round that the knockout doesn't come, it starts to become a disappointment in what people thought, but like, you know, boxing is as HBO loved to say the theater of the unexpected, but I thought Cruz um, brought a style that just made it very difficult for tank to really get anything going. And when tank started to heat up, he, it looked like he broke his hand and it kind of stymied what might have been for tank. But like one of the things that I was thinking about as listening to you guys talk is just kind of like, would if tank would have knocked out Cruz, like everyone expected in say a couple of rounds, 
wouldn't that have kind of been an under deliver? Uh, because then it becomes like this fight basically played out the predictable way, but the predictable way wasn't terribly exciting in the sense that we weren't going to get a competitive sort of fight where two guys were close to being equal. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think people had that expectation of the fight becoming pretty going pretty quickly because crank is either knocked down or stopped literally every single opponent. So I think people were just waiting to see, you know, when Cruz is going to drop and I think what was interesting was um, I also saw like a lot of I, I don't I think Tank clearly won the fight and I don't I just didn't really understand the you know I thought Cruz did really well but I, I that that small minority contingent calling it a draw or Cruz winning I, I can't take that very seriously because I feel like you know when somebody you don't expect to perform does well we kind of overvalue that we're all guilty of it and I yeah. feel like a lot of it was accentuating the positives of Cruz's game and hiding the negatives of his performance. And again, we're all we're all guilty of that, but I was surprised how much of that seemed to be pretty earnest on the timeline last night. Like I really thought it was a pretty clear eight four fit. Yeah, I think that comes with the territory of being one of the made guys in boxing, like Floyd for so long, or Canelo right now, where the margin for error for these guys is so slim. And there's this expectation that when they go into fights, they don't get touched. They don't make mistakes and they don't have close rounds and anything that is like, um, you know, if, if they get landed on, it registers on the Richter scale way higher than say the work of, uh, Sergio Garcia in the Fundura fight. And, <laughs> but that's what, that's kind of like the, what happens when you're the A side and, to, and people are looking, and everybody loves the underdog story. I mean, like who did yeah. after, after the fight, who didn't want to see Isak Cruz go on to have massive success <laughs> in his career? Yeah, How do you not yeah, fall in love course. with that guy? But I want to throw in though. I think it's, I think with tank, it's bigger than him just being the A side tank. He's been ascending. We all know that, but I think this weekend solidified, He's in a class that only maybe Canelo is in, or, or, or that only definitely Canelo is in, and maybe no other people. And once you get to that level, it comes with a certain level of delusional takes, extreme hatred, and like rooting for the underdog at a at a different type of level. I think so you're gonna you're gonna have the oh Cruz got robbed takes or Tank got hurt at every landed punch and what what we're talking about punches that were getting blocked. And I, I saw a lot of that on Twitter, and it just let me know, like, Tank is there. He is officially there, and he's in a class all on his own, except for Canelo. I think when you have—I guess what you're—to condense what you're saying, at least what it sounds like to me, is that certain really, really popular fighters in the sport, they have—they get everyone talking about them, and generally, like, not everyone— really knows what they're watching and that's not no slight on him but it's just like you know yeah. listen to my takes on the nfl i think i know what i'm talking about i don't know what i'm talking about okay <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like any any of us talking about football right it's, right i yeah. couldn't scheme uh, uh i couldn't scheme a def do a defensive scheme to save my life okay uh <laughs> but i will talk like oh yeah you know josh allen's got to do this he's got to do that but i you know i don't know what i'm talking about but that's that's fine that's what comes with the general conversation when you reach a certain level and i think tanks reach that level where 
every fan who with a passing rooting interest in boxing, uh, they've seen enough of him that they will speak on him. Now, have they seen enough of Junto Nakatani? Absolutely not. But you also don't hear them talking about him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so, I mean, I think that's where those takes come out. So, like, is there a contingency of people who feel like um, maybe like are incorrectly feel that Tank should have lost that fight or that was a draw or something? Yeah, I'll give Sean Gibbons a pass, but everyone else, you know, it's, that, that's <laughs> yeah. just it comes with the territory. No, that's Sean Gibbons' job is to be mad about the fight. So shout to Sean Gibbons. He 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 went as far to call Tank Gervonta uh, Rigandow. You you guys just saved me from saying something that I was going to regret. So thank you for interrupting me. <laughs> but uh, it was about Sean Gibbons. Um, but yeah, I so you know how how much do you think that broken hand impacted the fight? Uh, I think it definitely impacted it. And the uh, from from my standpoint, uh, when Tank tried to really turn up the heat, I think it was around seven or eight. I think he was kind of trying to test to see how much Tank, you know, was uh, how much was left in uh, Cruz's tank, uh, and see, you know, how how uh, sturdy he was going to be for the later rounds. And I feel like when he started to really lay it on, and Cruz didn't kind of go anywhere, he sort of went into a I don't know. I think he resigned himself pretty much after round eight that this is going to go the distance. And especially, I think better. Uh, I was watching the live bet, and I think people really started to catch on when it was obvious in rounds 11 and 12 when tank starts looking up at the clock and mm -hmm. i think he's just trying to at that point like all right i need to get box my way out of here so i don't keep you know making making my hand worse um uh when it was really obvious at that point uh yeah yeah i i agree i agree like tank in the eighth he, he started the eighth and i saw like neo in the matrix like uh, some of the moves he was doing his defense the way he was putting his punches together I was like, oh, my God, is he really about to take that step into, like, not Floyd, because I don't want to do, like, the generic, like, go there with it. But he looked so good, so good. And he, he just couldn't complete it. And I think that was his hand. And he yeah. would let Cruz creep back in. And not, not to say, like, Cruz was bad. He was amazing. But, like, he just couldn't sustain that, that next level. I think, like, one of the things that we've seen – with Tank, and we'll get to Cruz in a sec, but, like, Tank... And, and this was, like, a fight that Tank needed to have, I think, because, like, you're not just going to blow anybody out. You know, I don't think Tank's going to get in there with some guys, and, they're like, he's just going to make them crumble. Uh, but what we did see in this fight is that, you know, Tank got hit with some shots. He took them. Tank got pushed around the ring. He was able to adjust. And he had these moments defensively where he looked phenomenal. Like, I, I did not think, I, I know, you know, you hear the, the stories of people like, oh, you know, they always, oh, I, I spar tank and tank is this and tank is that. But it's like, yeah, but I haven't seen it. You know, I, I'm not in the gym watching tank spar. I haven't seen this stuff. We saw it last night. I mean, it was just, th th there's a level to his game that you can see why people are, speak so highly of Tank. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it now. Um, and, and I'd be curious if Tank decided to fight defensively for 12 rounds. Like, well, he clearly avoids breaking his hands. But like, I mean, the guy could, like there is a longevity there to Tank that I didn't see before. Because uh, I thought he was just like, okay, really fast, very clever, great timing, sort of counter puncher with insane power. And it turns out that that's really not what he is. 
Uh, that's just how he fights, but there's a lot more that he can do in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. But like with Cruz, I, I think he deserves a ton of credit. And my question is, do you think like he rose to the occasion last night? Or do you think that we just slept on him? Uh, I think it's a combination of both because I think he sometimes fights in the past. My criticism of him is that he kind of was fighting to the level of his opposition, and I think he's sometimes a little better. Like, uh, I thought the Romero fight was hard to watch, um, and I wished that he could have, uh, you know, pushed him a little bit more, and that fight shouldn't have been that close in my opinion. I think he's a lot more talented than Romero. Um, I thought he showed a lot of improvement in the Vargas fight, but yeah, I felt that he's, I feel like he's maybe just one of these guys that he's gonna, you know, if the opponent's just that high level, he can, he can rise to the occasion. But, you know, does that mean that in the future, if he fights an, you know, an inferior opponent to tank, is he, is he going to look worse? Remains to be seen, but that's kind of like my feeling about him is that he's as good as who's in the ring with. What about you, Lex? Um, I like I like what Cruz brings to the table, man. Like that, I'm a huge fan. Like I said, that that Blitzkrieg, come at you, killer be killed style. He has it. Um, his last two fights, I think his opponents weren't like really willing to like mix it up with him, so the the fights were ugly. But like the thing with Tank, right? And and we're gonna see this a lot moving forward. Is he is the lottery ticket? You beat him, and you're you you write your own story. He's gonna get guys best shots every single time out. Yeah. Full training camp, full focus. May or may not be using drugs. Like we're gonna get um, every time out from now on. Tank is getting dudes best shots. So I expected nothing less from Cruz. What I'm interested in seeing now from Cruz is like, how is he gonna sustain? what he did on Saturday. Like, it, what is Gibbons going to do with them? Is he going to fight Roley? Is he going to fight Michelle Rivera? Are they going to let him go to DAZN? Like, he has so many cool opportunities moving forward. Uh, he uh, Will he headline on Fox? Will he headline on Showtime? I'm really excited to see what's next because I think if he can stay focused, he has a big future. And keep in mind, he's only 23, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, crazy that... got him at the right time because this, this could be like... Of my Donna, where he just keeps ascending and gets really, really dangerous. Tanks like twenty to twenty seven, but yeah, still young. Uh, and I think that's one one thing I want to point out on the show. Every guy that won last night is under thirty. Thank God, we're starting to see some fresh names. That's all I'm gonna say. That's a great take. Like. I, I remember um, like a few years ago, just looking at the light heavyweight division and I'm like, yo, this division might be dead. Look at the, look at every name here. Everyone's yeah. over the age of like 33 with the exception of one guy. And yeah. we do have these lulls in boxing where it's like, okay, the old guys just keep winning and these young guys keep getting upset. But like, yeah, that's a really good, uh, that's a good eye for last night. And it, obviously that's good. You know, we need to see this next generation of guys emerge and we hear all about the, the obvious ones like tank and Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia, but like Isaac Cruz, Carlos Adamas, like, you know, I'm cool with, with all these names also getting some shine. Yeah. Um, but well, technically Cruz didn't win, but, uh, yeah, but it's still, he got the moral going. victory, I think, because, yeah. you know, no one expected it. I think, I think he was, I agree with you, Gray. It was a combination of both. I, I think Cruz outperformed any performance he's had in his career thus far. Even Diego Magdaleno, 
I was not that as impressed with what showed up that night as I was last night because he had a really sound game plan and he executed it to perfection. And I don't think that game plan though was necessarily to come out and win a decision. Uh, you know, he just wasn't active enough a lot during the fight to have really had this like really legitimate argument for winning the decision. But I think in terms of the game plan of we're not going to let his tank's power dictate what happens in this fight, he succeeded in doing that and was able to avoid getting hit with any monster shots, which I thought was um, a really sound game plan. He, he fought in a way that it just was very clear. He wasn't going to let himself get hit flush. And if it meant giving up rounds because he was not as active as he needed to be, so be it. And so it, it wound up working out really well for him. And then with Tank breaking his hand, it really like really added a lot of drama to things because Cruz started to rack up rounds where maybe he wouldn't have if Tank's hand was totally fine. But I'm, I'm glad for him because I think he does have potential... I feel like if you look at how he performed in the um, the Romero fight, I feel like maybe that is a function of him not being always entirely confident in what he's doing and falling into, as you said, fighting to their opposition, but maybe it's fighting their fight because that Romero fight was unwatchable. <laughs> and then the, wasn't the Vargas fight also terrible? They weren't, I mean, the Romero one really sticks out in my mind is probably contender for worst fight of the year on TV. Like it's up there. It's top three for sure. I like um, how Gray said on TV. Oh yeah. Cause that's, yeah, that you need to put a caveat there. Cause I, even I'll worse than Rigando Casamero. Uh, ooh, that, that's also a top three one. I, I, I think Reagan now Casemiro might be number one, honestly, because I feel like significance of that fight too bumps it up slightly. Um, but man, but, but, but that there were the, the meme of that fight was also much, much better. And I think that kind of saves it a little bit. And then we also can't remember Reagan hitting Casemiro just blatantly on the break. Oh no! It was definitely like meme-wise. It was a f funny fight. <laughs> like that—that—that's what's saving grace. We can mock it. Uh, yeah. Um. So, having seen, and we'll we'll kind of like give a little bit away of the Devin Haney conversation we're gonna have later. But like, where do Tank and Cruz now fit in the hierarchy of the lightweight division? In lightweight, um, because I feel like tank can go up or down still right i mean i mean maybe he's done with 130 but i mean uh, in terms of where he's at i think he's he and cambosis right now are the, are the one two i don't really care who's one or who's two but they are the top they run the division right now those two um and i don't know i i think tank should definitely keep you know if he goes up to 140 for his next fight for whatever reason i'm not i wouldn't be surprised uh i feel like he can do either Maybe uh, maybe it's time to give old Regis a fight. I don't know. <laughs> but, can he make 140? I don't know, man. I, if, if I don't can, think he can. Too, yeah. Too what, what do you mean? Getting... He did a he did a fight camp for Twitter. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I, that that is indicative of something like that nobody's talking about. But uh, that's uh, a little troubling. Get his Jeep stuck in, uh, get his uh, go kart stuck in the mud again. Um, in terms of like 135, where Cruz fits in, I think he'll be back. You know, I I, I could definitely see him back in an eliminator pretty quickly. Um, 
I don't know. Like, uh, maybe they match him with, like, I don't know, Fortuna? Like, I, I don't really have a Oh, specific... God. <laughs> Speaking of unwatchable fights. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't, like, want to see it, but I'm, like, I kind of would do it. Um, but, yeah, he'll be I, – I think PBC should definitely think about, you know, putting him in a co-main, main car, you know, main position uh, on Fox next year. I'll, I'll ride the momentum, figure it out. I imagine you can get this guy back on the ring pretty quickly. Like fought three times, fought three times this year. Looked pretty fresh to me. If just, man, just just him out there four times next year. You don't have to have I a don't. competitive opponent each time. Just like let this oh. guy get four fights in, and then let's see what we got with him next the following year. Because I, I mean, don't think he, getting a title shot is going to be easy right now. Yeah, I think eventually too, Cambosis is probably gonna. I, just the way boxing works, we know how it works. He, he's gonna vacate belts at some point. At least, in my opinion, he should. From a financial perspective, I think he paying all those fees is you're a mark if you do that. I'm gonna say it. Um, so you should right now. <laughs> Very hurt. Yeah, I know, right? Like, that dude, dude was paying a WBC fee and didn't even have a WBC title. Such mark behavior. Stop being belt marks fighters. This is so pathetic. Um, he'll drop some. He'll drop a vacant. He'll drop a belt at some point, and Cruz should be right in the line for one of those vacant titles. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's that's fair. The front of the line. Yep. Were you guys surprised by the crowd? Um, given it was a Sunday night, I mean that the place looked great. Didn't surprise me at all. Um, I think Tank is like Alex said. I think he's getting to the point now. Alex, you can you know give your opinion here too. But I, I think he's starting to culturally. It's shifting from just boxing, you know, popularity to uh, pop culture popularity, and I think it's only going to get bigger in 2022. Yeah, I'm I'm not shocked. I mean, like, listen, I saw Tank versus Pedraza, and I I, I felt it then. I told you guys then, like, on the Patreon chat. And now it's just like everyone's starting to see it. I put the celebrity list like he he brings out celebrities every single time. And it's just going to get more and more extreme, even like to the point where I like who's Cruz really like Cruz is not a known fighter. People just come out for tank. So once you start giving him like better matchups or people fighters that people kind of recognize, it's just going to be more extreme. My people were like. What what's up with Roly? What happened with Roly? When's Tank gonna fight Roly? So you, and what you was your Roley? response? I told them the truth. I told them what happened. <laughs> Roly's, said, Roly's a, a uh, yeah. Cruz, uh, now, I will say Cruz just had um under a hundred thousand follow uh Instagram followers. I noticed he had kind of this Instagram following even before the Tank fight. Really? So I think yeah, I know it's kind of weird. Um, Deuce mentioned it to me too, and he's like, "Dude, look how many followers this dude has, and people commenting on all this stuff." So I think he's—I'm not saying like—I I just think we didn't, you know, realize like he—he—he he, he has a more of a following than the average fighter from Mexico. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting to me. So I don't know what what the deal is with him, but he definitely is like apparently slightly pop, you know, more popular in social media than I think we realize. I didn't would not have guessed that because like you know like you see boxers even like like higher level boxers and at least Twitter. I don't go on Instagram guys, but uh, on Twitter, I, I look at their follower count. I'm like, geez, you fought on TV like eight times. How do you have less than 4,000 followers? He's like buddies with a lot of like triple uh, a uh, Mexican luchador guys too. Oh. So, I know so I think, I think, I think that crosses over a little bit into that wrestling audience too. Um, like some, some, I noticed some boxers do that. 
more, more than others, but I kind of noticed that about him. I was like, oh, he's kind of hanging out with some of these luchador dudes. That That is a lane that some boxers got to fill is to just like get buddy-buddy with Cody Rhodes and that crew. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember like Triple H and Batista, like uh, the, like some of those HBO cards? Uh, right. Triple H walking Floyd out. My God. <laughs> like, I wonder what that, like, how did that conversation happen where Triple H is walking Floyd to the ring? Jesus. I know it's 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 weird. I'm sure, but no, you're right though. There is definitely a crossover. I'm not. I don't know how really big it is these days, but it's not a bad idea to, uh, you know, co-opt yourself in that way. Definitely pick up some few fans. Like, which boxer would best be suited to like get walked to the ring by Hangman Adam Page? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, have to think about that. Hangman is uh, super popular. Yeah, he really is. Um, like I feel like. You know, like if it's gonna be like in, uh, well, he's like popular in like the South too. Like he's from West Virginia, right? So I'm, I don't know. That's a really good. I have to think about that one. Like who would be a good name there? I'm not sure. Um, if 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 Tank for his next fight got walked to the ring by Roman Reigns. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a good one. Does Twitter melt down? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think it does. Anyway, um. Let's get on to the undercard. Oh, yeah. We had, and Gray, you and I were talking about this, uh, Sebastian Fundura against Sergio Garcia. Guys, just in in a sentence, what was your expectation for this fight? And don't try to, to put yourself over here. What was your expectation before the fight? Um, my expectation, all you know, I'm very ironic about him, but no, I actually like Fundora. I, my expectation was he was gonna win a 12 round decision, and, and he, he actually the fight went pretty close to what I thought it would be. I didn't think Fundora was gonna knock him out. I didn't think Garcia had enough power to trouble Fundora, and he couldn't. You know, he was finding range was gonna be a real problem for him. And uh, but he did he did the best. Like I think he did honestly the best he could have possibly done against Fundora. Like. That was the best probably performance we we could have gotten. What about you, Lex? What was your expectation for this fight? I thought it would be another like freak show kind of fight, like Fundora versus Coda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I was disappointed. I saw a quote from Fundora, and he was like, "I wanted to prove everyone wrong and show that I could use my length." And I'm just like, "Bro, it's pay per view. This what? is not. Yeah, like this is not the fight where you want to show you could like." Use your distance and be like you're supposed to get you know, give give us something to like take home or something. He, right. I don't know. Look I got an issue with but... what you just said. Okay, yeah, I do too. What should I should I pause it? Is that what you wanted? Yeah, pause. <laughs> what do you mean you wanted to show people you could use your length? Like guys, if we play that out to like the logical conclusion, if 154 pounds Sebastian Fundora coming into the ring at six foot five and a half. If this guy could actually use his length, he would legitimately be unbeatable. There would not be a single fighter in boxing history who would be able to score a decision off of him. Because the length that to navigate that length would just be something we've never seen in boxing before. So he didn't prove that because no. he damn near lost the fight. He lost every, he pretty much missed every jab he threw. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like it was, the punch stats were just like hilarious. Like he landed something like ten jabs the whole fight. Like he landed crazy. more rear uppercuts than he did jabs. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, yep. And you're right. Uh, I agree with you, Angelo. He he uh, didn't really fight tall. Uh, and again, I think better fighters uh, are going to figure that out. And he's fight. You know, he's risking it, doing it like that. He really. I thought he won the fight pretty clearly, but um, I thought he should have. You know, if if he if he's if he's if if I'm supposed to feel like he can handle the top five guys in the division, that performance yesterday didn't make me feel confident. So. Well, actually, Lex, I interrupted you. So, you want to go on with your point? No, I mean that was it. Uh, I was okay. I, were, I were you impressed then? Fireworks. You expected more fireworks. Yeah, I think the crowd was kind of dead though. The and crowd was I, super dead. And I, I don't blame them for that. Uh, I mm. think, think that I think the fight before the main event, it's very hard to get a crowd into it. So, I think that makes the fight worse than what's actually going on in front of you uh, it's just my feeling at least i've, I've cut from my experience watching pay-per-views mm-hmm. and i did think that the fight was a lot better than the, how the crowd was reacting i actually was very interested in what was happening in front of me um and i i wished that um it could have had a little more energy but again i just feel like every fight before the main event is this this always happens it doesn't matter who it is yeah, I, I I agree, especially with a, a fight like Tank, where that that is when celebrities are starting to fill into the ring and everybody's looking around to see who's here. It's like you, I think the structure of pay per views has to change a bit, and that co-main has got to be a showcase fight. And I know yeah. people may not like that, but like you got to just do a showcase and have somebody put put on the fight that you are most. Um, confident you're going to get like a, a nice stoppage do that fight in the co-main because nobody paid attention during that fight i feel give yeah. me an example give, give an example of like what kind of fight you think should be slotted there uh like put uh eduardo ramirez versus mariaga in that position hmm. now that fight should have been a showcase but mariaga is like tough as hell and just refused to go anywhere but Theoretically, like a Mariaga-esque opponent for Eduardo Ramirez would have gotten a stoppage or a knockout. That was the, that would have been, I think, the right move because you can get people hyped up with the finish because nobody's going to pay attention to the fight, but they will pay attention to the finish. Um, I think that's probably the move there. And I, I get the idea of a co-main, but like realistically, nobody's paying attention to co-mains. Like it's very rare on pay-per-view level fights where the co-main has people actually genuinely excited and it feels like people are paying attention like maybe Darrell Benavides or was like that or um I guess going way back Danny Garcia and Lucas Matisse but every other co-main like like I don't remember yeah it's from a crowd psychology standpoint you definitely want to try and get them buzzing with a with a you know a nice looking stoppage before your main event starts but very very rarely do I feel like that uh that happens i feel like I was, i'm just like i've seen too many co-mains where it's like i feel like the point the the whole atmosphere is just there, there's no energy you know do, everyone's like it's weird do you remember the co or the the main uh what am i saying the undercard for mayweather pacquiao yes i do and it was atrocious wrong i don't like lomachenko versus i think it was romula kasha I want to say Santa Cruz and had a 10-rounder. Yeah, Santa yeah. Cruz versus somebody who I don't remember. I'm sure if I had thought about it, I'd remember. But yeah. no one cared about either fight. No. 
No, it was a bad undercard. <laughs> like, it was like two fights that felt like 10. Yeah. And I, and I think that's just kind of like the problem of, of like these pay-per-view fights where um, if you have a main event like and, and a star like Tank or Canelo, it's really hard for the crowd to like actually care when it's so close to the that fight coming on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to Fundora. What do you guys want to see next for his development? I think a title title eliminator against Lubin uh, would make a lot of sense. I actually like that fight for Fundora. Uh, I think Lubin will have a tough time because he's shorter than Garcia, so I think it's an even more visually, uh, you know, fascinating fight. Uh, I think I don't. I think Lubin's like five nine, maybe five ten at the most. I actually I think Garcia is listed on Boxer because five eleven by the way, but he looked. He, I'm 5'11 and a half, and he looked taller than me. Like that dude was closer to six six one. So I, I think, I think getting past, if you can get past Lubin, and then you kind of start looking at the top three for him. But he has to prove himself against a legitimate top ten guy now. Uh, I, I agree with that, Lex. Let me ask you about Garcia. Do you, do you want to see Garcia again? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, he, like, why not? He's not like he was. A, he was a decent little fighter. I'm not that familiar with him, but he didn't look bad. Um, yeah, I think you add him to like the 154 mix. The guys who like can't can't sustain winning fights for too long. You just throw him in that mix, and you make more good fights. If, if yeah. what's his deal? Even I don't. He's not with PBC, right? Apparently, yeah, I don't, his I, next fight is going to be on PBC. Is he? Is he with Samson? I don't think he's with Samson, but. Um, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I think Samson might have said that Garcia will be back on a on a PBC card. So he's the same age as fellow Spaniard Kerman Ligaraga, and I feel like he fights ten years younger and looks ten years younger than Ligaraga. Like they're Hell both the pronunciation, Gray. Uh, just brutal. Ligaraga. Le, le, <laughs> I don't even know how you say his name. Kerman. Kerman. Kerman is the oldest twenty-nine-year-old in boxing. Okay, uh, that's what happens when you get knocked the fuck out like numerous times. Yeah, dude. Oh, well, I know. It's like he's only been knocked out twice, and he looks ancient. I think both were bad knockouts, though. Oh, they were. They were. They, no, it's not say that. Let's not kid ourselves. They were They were bad. But uh, for a guy who's 37, 34 and 2, I'm like, man, he's uh, he's uh, looking looking much older than 29. Yeah. Anyway. I, uh, as for Fundura, I agree about his development. For Sergio Garcia, I don't care. I, I think... I respect him as a fighter and like there used to be a lot more of these guys in boxing when the world of boxing was so much smaller and there wasn't a lot of visibility on this level fighter. But like he's a guy that maybe eight years ago, I would have loved to have seen get opportunities to fight on TV. But at this point with so many guys now having opportunities to fight in front of us or in ways that are available easily for us to, you know, watch, I don't really care. Like, I, I wasn't that impressed with the action of this fight. I, I, I guess you disagreed with that, Gray, but I wasn't thrilled with this fight. Okay. I mean, you don't have to say, like, okay, like that. I'm not forcing you to agree with me. You <laughs> could tell me to kiss okay. your ass. No, I, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to die on that. It's not a hill to die on. <laughs> this, this is a podcast where there are hills to die on. I'm not um, dying on that. All right. And then, uh, Sergey Dravinchenko and uh, Carlos Adamas. I think we all had this one circled. And the question is, did it live up to the hype? It's fun. And I remember you and I talked 
earlier that day about man Adamus, like how is he this wide on an underdog on on these uh you know like betting sites and the more when you said that i'm kind of dawned on me like dude derivinchenko like every fight he's been in since like 2018 maybe 2019 or whatever like it's they're not easy fights like he doesn't blow guys out and he's fighting a younger dude and i just figured i think the miles are starting to catch up with him i think you know he still has something to offer to boxing but um when you're yeah, you know, I I was like, man, I could definitely see Adama's uh out hustling him here. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> like that's pretty much how the fight went. <laughs> yeah. Even though it looked like Adamas was fading late in that fight. Not but not fading enough that the fight was truly in danger. Uh I I, I think to me, it just seems like I was looking at the fight and I saw so many people picking Adamas by a knockout, but Adamus was also the underdog, and I just felt like usually when I see a lot of people thinking a fight's going to go one way, it leads me to believe that that's probably not how it's going to go. And I, I just kept looking at like, okay, look, I think Adamus could be busy enough and could do enough in this fight to get a win. But Jamal Charlo couldn't put Drevichenko away. Gennady Golovkin could, couldn't put him away. Danny yeah. Jacobs couldn't put him away. Jack Colquet, when he had a shot, couldn't put him away. I mean, not that Jack Colquet belongs in, in, in the same class no, as those guys, but right. he, he had Drevichenko hurt in that fight. Um, those were hard fights. None of those guys could really put put this guy away. It, there certainly was a realm of... It was in the realm of possibility that maybe Drevichenko was just ready to go as some guys, they become ready to go. Uh, this wasn't that night, though. And it's clear that he is still tough as hell. I don't necessarily know if I want to see him continue to get in the ring uh, with these guys because these are just brutal fights to watch, even if Derevichenko is competitive with all of these guys. Yeah, um, he's got a lot of mileage on him, especially from his amateur days. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to catch up to him at some point. And at this point, I don't really see an upwards slide for him at all. It's going to go just down at this point. So... I, yeah, it this you know I I like I totally would get it. That was it for him. Like I totally would understand. I mean I don't mind if he fights again. Like I'm sure there's plenty of plenty of pretender you know pretenders out there he'll take care of. But in terms of him like being at world title level, it's it's over. With like um, Derevian Django's career, I think he's 13 and four now. He yeah, may have had like the greatest 17 fight career of all time in terms of resume. Yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy, I think, uh, you know, just went out there. I mean, as he should have, he, he had so many semi-pro fights. Like he should have just dove out there and fought the guys or, you know, moved pretty quickly on it. And, and he did uh, from, from like 2018 to 2021, man, he's those last five fights. Those are nothing, nothing really easy there. Yeah. I totally forgot about the world series of boxing that he, I think he had quite a few fights in the world series of boxing, maybe like eight, 20, uh, yeah, 25. What? Yeah. Yeah, he had 25, something like that. I think it was 25 or maybe a couple more. But yeah, it was definitely the most out of any fighter who's ever gone pro. I know that for a fact. Jeez, so. he's he's literally the GOAT of the World Series of Boxing. Yes, he's like he, he was like 25 and one or something like that in World Series of Boxing. And remember, those are all, for those who don't know who are listening, those are all, they're five-round fights and they don't have headgear. So think about all the you know sparring and fighting he, he did before turning pro without headgear on. Uh, what do you think should be next for Adamus, Lex? I mean, he's doing the uh, the Mungia, um Eliminator, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yep. 
Yeah, so I mean, I I like that fight. I think it's a good fight between two younger dudes at 160. I, it's interesting because like because of the way all the promotional bodies are set up, like you have a lot of like logjam between Triple G, Andrade, and Charlo. But like, there's some decent young fighters that are starting to like pop up. Like, I'm curious, like what's gonna happen with uh, uh, Vidal? What's it, Amilcar, right? Hmm. He's no good. Uh, well, I, I actually you don't like him. I, I think he's okay. He's. I don't think he's gonna be well served at like the world title level. Is what I mean to say. I think he's a really dangerous fighter for guys below that level. But at the world level, where guys got chins and can can take punches, it gets very dicey for him. So you you have him, Adamus. Uh, what's my boy's name? Montiel. Like, there's some, there's some like decent fighters out there. I, I wish that they, everyone was able to mix it up a bit more. But um, to answer your question, I'm uh, I, like, I'll watch uh, Mungia versus Adamus whenever it happens. I think that that'll be a good fight. Yeah, I and think... uh, that'll do well. I, I know Mungia's got a good crowd. He's been drawing some decent crowds in his last few fights, so I think that will draw a, a good crowd. I really M- do. If I think. It's probably not this year that he's going to win the award, but like I think next year Munguia could win Most Improved Fighter because I think he'd beat Adamus, and we would see like a real, um, a performance out of Munguia where like that dude is like just is getting better, and that would be the definitive proof on yes. his ascension. Uh, I like that fight. I think it also could be a fight of the year. I think Adamus basically anytime you put him in there with an offensive fighter. That it, you just circle it as potential fight of the year candidate. I agree. What what kind of t- like what kind of chances do you give Adamus to winning against Mongolia? Yeah, uh, like twenty percent. Okay. Yeah, twenty 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 five. Adamus has I I I think he would struggle with Mongolia's activity. The, but the one thing you know that twenty percent also. Is that I think he could hurt Munguia. And like he he has proven Munguia has proven like in his last three or four fights, like he can be hurt. And so but but I think that's what makes it so interesting is that both guys have the power to hurt each other. And they also are both prone to getting punched in the face. <laughs> I would give um Munguia like a Probably 50, 50, 50 shot. I give him a better, actually even better. I give him a better than 50% chance of getting a stoppage. Maybe it's a hot take, but I think he, I think pretty good chance he gets a stoppage. I, I might've found the person who's higher on Munguia than me. <laughs> Around these parts is not a common take. <laughs> yeah, I think he gets a stoppage in that fight. Um, okay. And then on the opener, Eduardo Ramirez got a decision win over Miguel Mariaga. It was like a decent little opener. Yeah, uh, wasn't it a, a eliminator of some sort? Uh, no, no I don't think so. No way, because Mariaga is like coming off of a like a loss eight losses in a row. It <laughs> feels that way every time he's on TV. Dude, um, Mariaga's tough as hell though. Like, no, I, yeah, I just no. retrospect like having a retrospective of his career, starting from when like HBO dug him out of like some random place in Colombia, wherever he was. I think it's Colombia. And uh, it was like, oh, he beat Nicholas Walters in the amateurs and they have a rivalry and he's a power puncher. He, he was like 
20 and 0 with 18 knockouts or something. And then uh, Walters like had a completely uninspiring performance against him. And M- Miguel Mariaga has been on the scene since just giving everybody work. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he goes rounds. I mean, and, and if you're not good, if you're not really good, he will beat you. Uh, yeah. But if you, if you are, if you have something to offer to boxing, uh, you're you are gonna probably win most rounds against him. And uh, Ramirez is one of these. I, I what a, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, and he's had quite a run on uh, these PBC shows. So my tip of the cap to him, uh, I gotta say, uh, I, I'm curious to see what they kind of do with him now uh, next year. But yeah, definitely a guy that's taken advantage pretty much every time he's been on TV and gone out there and uh, you know gotten further than I, I ever. You know, if I looked at his record four years ago, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. So he's done a good job for himself yeah i i remember seeing eduardo romero's early in his career i'm like uh, yeah yeah anyway um over on saturday night we had devin haney and jojo diaz devin haney won a unanimous decision now how much trouble do you think jojo actually gave devin haney because the punch stats and they try to point this out on the broadcast the punch stats pointed kind of like made the fight look a little closer than it was and i don't i I don't know what people were watching okay but i'm curious (laughs) maybe i'm wrong and you guys are about to convince me otherwise but like do you think jojo gave devin haney any trouble no (laughs) no definitely not (laughs) not really (laughs) Uh, especially i always i always say the last half of the fight is the part that the fans are going to remember the most and uh i thought haney swept you know, from eight eight to twelve, I thought he maybe not swept, but he took most of those rounds. I thought JoJo had one really good stretch in the fight where the left hand was like he just kept landing this overhand left, and I think he might have even hurt Devin at one point in time. But other than that, like there, he'd have like a sequence. I remember one sequence in particular where like he did a really nice job. Like he batted Haney's hand down, scored him, hit him with a jab avoided a shot and then hit him with the left and i was like damn that's that's nice work jojo that's like the kind of stuff that had you fighting in the olympics but (laughs) like that none of that was sustainable i thought jojo like was never in this fight um to me my take about devin is that he's vulnerable for sure you cannot deny that devin if you clip him with a good shot he he's gonna show the effects of it yep but he won basically the rest of the fight handily. I mean, he's a really talented. Just can't hurt anybody. That's going to be his problem at the top level. He just doesn't have the, the power to hurt people. Okay. But like, let me know if you guys saw this. When I'm watching the fight, I see Devin landing these shots. And I'm like, the so like there's like a scale from looks like they hit hard. And then on the other side, actually hits hard. The gap between where Devin is at it, like he looks like he's throwing insanely powerful shots. Those shots have no effect. <laughs> I mean, it, he doesn't drop guys. That's how that's sign one, right? He doesn't drop guys. I mean, not really. I, the, the last time he really dropped a guy, really dropped a guy was Antonio Moran. You know, that's that was a highlight real KO. Don't get me wrong, but man. Not many of those on his record. <laughs> Not there. I don't know, man. Devin is like, I feel like people so badly want Devin to be something that he just isn't. Like, there's so much buzz 
and I, I give Bill Haney credit because he's he's driving this machine, but like everyone's like Black Jesus, next Floyd, and it's like that's not what we're looking at. Like we're looking at a cool little boxer who has some vulnerabilities. He probably isn't gonna hurt anyone at the top level. And he could get hurt at the top level. And it was a solid win, but I'm just I don't know. I haven't been high on Devin in the past. He hasn't done anything to change my stance. Interesting. I, I I give both him and Cruz. I mean, they're both 23, man. To get to be at this high level at that young of an age, it's I mean, go look at pound. You know, your your average age in all these divisions. Like, there's not a lot of 23 year olds that are uh, fighting. You know, defending world titles or fighting in world title fights. So, but but let me ask you: Has he had a fight? that left you like, oh, wow, okay. Like, that was some shit. Moran, that was it. And, I mean, you know, and looking back on that, what was, you know, that was 2019 and really a prospect fight. Uh, That's about it. I think Devin has definitely shown vulnerabilities. And, like, the thing of how you want to evaluate him is if we just look at him in a vacuum, because there's so much, like, static around who Devin Haney is supposed to be as a fighter. And you have a lot of people saying one thing. And I think just the nature of social media today is you get radicalized because everyone tells you what you're supposed to think. And, you know, a couple of voices may seem like a hundred. If that's the ones that you keep seeing on your timeline, it, it radicalizes your perspective on things or, or it has a tendency to. And I think Devin Haney, if we, look at all the hate that he gets and he certainly gets a lot of hate i think um and but he also gets people really out here trying to defend who like the honor of devin haney and i feel like keep this in mind though like devin haney is one of the first fighters we've seen grow up in a gym like if if we look at basketball yeah listen let's bear with me when we were doing all these floyd all axes in 24 7 Devin Haney was there for a lot of them. He was one of the first guys that was heavy on social media and people were following yep. him day in, day out. He's kind of like our uh, LaMelo Ball a little bit, low-key. Real, real, real Devin Haney TV on YouTube. I remember watching <laughs> Yeah, see what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, when he would go down to Mexico and film all those fights, I, I, I mean, I entered in all those early fights in his career. And I watched pretty much all of them. I was very fascinated with a 16-year-old going down to Mexico and take, you know, going pro. So not a lot of people, not a lot of kids that young doing that. So, I'm gonna cut I mean, that out. Where just literally, I know it sounds so bad. <laughs> after he's and a 16-year-old, <laughs> a 16-year-old going down to Mexico. What a psychotic thing to say, but no context. <laughs> um, but I, I, him and <laughs> him no and Garcia, context gray like, account is coming. Oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck me. Um, uh, so yeah, him and Garcia were, you know, were the two, two, you know, they, they said, screw the amateurs. I want to go build, fight some guys in Mexico and build up my, you know, build myself up. And I, I, that's what I like about both of them. Um, uh, Lex is that they both, you know, built themselves up before they got the big promotional contract or, you know, or the exposure. Like, Garcia didn't get signed by Golden Boy out the gate. Devin Haney certainly didn't have a promoter for most of his career. Uh, so I, I, there's definitely a big self-made uh, element to both of those guys. Yeah, and I, and I think Devin was probably the first fighter who from the jump said, I'm going to try to do this independent thing and not 
you know, obviously there there were some pluses and minuses to it. I mean, he did get dates on Showtime, and I imagine that having uh, a promoter there would have been helpful at certain points, but he truly didn't need it. And if you look at where he's at right now, um, he didn't need it in terms of establishing himself as like, you know, one of the young talents in boxing. We could talk a lot about how that may have impacted his ability to be a draw and be popular, which I think we've kind of come to the conclusion if we have, like, it was pretty, pretty evident this weekend. If you compare his event to Tank's event, that there are just, there's a huge gap between where Haney is and where Tank is, which is Tank is oh, legitimately yeah, yeah. a superstar and Devin is still really struggling to sell. But like in terms of his talent though, I think Devin, I don't know that he, I, I would say that it's likely that he could beat everybody at 135. I think there there are dirt, certainly guys that would be dangerous fights for him. I think if Tiafimo can get his mind right, that would be a, a dangerous fight for him. I think Tank is obviously a dangerous fight as, you know, he's a dangerous fight for everybody at lightweight. Uh, Ryan would be a dangerous fight. But like if those guys can't hurt Devin, like I, I really don't un- know if any of those guys, you can count on them being able to score a decision off of him. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think this path to victory for him for all those names, um, maybe not Tank, but I, I see a path to victory for all the other guys you mentioned for sure. Um, I don't know, man. I just, my, my, I, I really can't speculate, but my only other point I want to make about him just again is that he really laid the blueprint out for a lot of younger fighters to go from just out of nowhere to, to uh, you know, like you said, getting those TV dates, getting, you know, a sh- you know, shot at these opportunities. And I mean, at the end of the day, like he, you know, he, he got himself those opportunities, but he also won those fights and, you know, and has been, you know, at the, you know, he's, he's winning fights. He is winning. You know, you have to have the talent to back up, you know, the marketing flair and he's done all of that. So, I mean, the blueprints out there on how to do it, um, but you also have to be, you know, pretty competent in the ring and he is quite competent in the ring he's good um and he like you said i think in certain scenarios he's gonna he could find a way to beat a lot of those guys at 135 it's just you know how does it play out a fight night? i have no idea but definitely path to victory for for most of the, for him over most of those guys i also just want to say that like um i didn't say that devin haney beats everybody at lightweight which Sometimes we take things out of context, and that's not what I meant to say. Path victory and actually beating, and uh, confident of beating, is yeah, two different things. Yeah, it's just like I wouldn't be shocked if he won decisions over these guys. I mean, Tank is obviously, I think, a really dangerous fight for him, uh, just because I think Tank has the skills that Devin Haney has, and he's got insane punching power. I think Ryan Garcia is a really dangerous fight for Devin Haney because. Haney does tend to get hit with these shots that he just kind of like weird shots at times. And the one thing Ryan Garcia does really well is like landing those weird sort of quick counters that you don't see coming. Um, And I think that, by the way, that's, that's hard for anybody to deal with. So it's not like he drops that and he puts pretty much everyone he fights down on the canvas at some point. So, you know, I, I definitely think Ryan has the power to, uh, and we see from Haney, like when RS showed us, like, he is vulnerable, so uh, no question. Ryan, Ryan, uh, winning by a knockout would not shock me. Uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, I think we'll move on. The undercard wasn't very good for the Devin Haney Jojo Diaz. Anything you want to highlight, Gray? 
Um, yeah, let me pull it up real quick just to refresh myself. I was shocked at how many stoppages there were. Uh, I feel like these Vegas refs were told to go out there and stop things uh, as quick as possible. Um, Montana Love uh, beat up Carlos Diaz, but the moment of the stoppage made no sense. Really bizarre, um, but really no surprise. It uh, also helps when he's like four pounds overweight and he could beat up a guy like that. So, And somehow he like, wasn't the most overweight fighter on the card. Oh, we'll talk about that. Uh, so <laughs> that fight, it's like, whatever, he beat a 29 old guy, but like, I'm not, you know, make weight, dude, and I'll care more. Um, McCaskill Wyatt was pretty much what I expected. I actually thought Wyatt got, got the plug pulled on her too early, um, even though I know it was a one-way traffic. But again, last-minute replacement fight really didn't mean too much um i think mccaskill is way too small for middle for welterweight anyway and i think if she ever fought somebody who's actually should be at that weight class she would get beaten i think there are plenty of fighters that will also beat her i was not impressed with their performance that she looked very sloppy um so there's my my women's boxing take for you um and then uh Mark Castro missed weight badly and just beat the tar out of some poor guy uh, how badly like Gotti Gamash badly. Like it was just gross to watch. It wasn't fair. Um, like he was yeah, six pounds heavier than the dude. Like, give me a break. Like he's got talent. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I great amateur. And I like what I've seen so far in the pros, but the dude is so weird and he's got to start making weight. Like this is, you're not going to win fans like this. You're not going to get anybody on board when you're knocking guys out six pounds over. Like that's just a joke. So, um, it was nice to see Emma Williams back in the ring. Uh, and he's had a lot of mental health struggles this year. Uh, and, uh, he basically won a stoppage by tackling a guy. Guy, another <laughs> terrible Vegas stoppage, um, but he did win. But uh, so I just want to know him as well. I'm, uh, I'm glad he's doing okay. All right, now we move towards this weekend, which has no shortage of fights. So we will probably skip over much. a lot. Yeah, there's too much going on this weekend, guys. So let's let's start with I think the one that um, Gray is most excited about, and that is Nonito Donaire versus Ray Marcabayo. <laughs> uh what network is that on I don't showtime know what... that's on show oh it is on showtime okay I, I i don't know why i thought that my brain's still scrambled there's too many filipino fighters in action this weekend um dude more no go... no context great yeah, no, more, <laughs> no context great i forgot this is like a showtime card uh dude i don't know man i'm gonna give Gabayo. i'm gonna go for it i think Gabayo wins this fight get the f no yep no oh. Let's no, I like it. No. I like it. Yo, you guys had to wait an hour into this podcast for an insane opinion. Here it is. I like it. I like Gabayo to win this fight on points. Donaire, you're Point old. points. You're 39. Your wife's making you fight at 118, dude. You're too. You can't do this anymore. You're cooked. I'm telling you right now, Gabayo. Gabayo by a majority or split decision shocks the world. That's right. I said it. If. Gabayo wins, this becomes like the greatest rant in our podcast history. <laughs> I don't count him out. That's all I'm saying. But I know it's that last not happening. Left. No way. I, I, dude, no, Donaire is, dude, I'm just going based off, I know it sounds like a very analytical, very numbers-based answer, but when I see a guy who's 39 fighting at low weights, I just, every time he goes out there, I'm like, I, he's vulnerable, dude. He's vulnerable. I, I, I just don't see it. I, I think a bio, 
just, I don't know. I think he's going to find it out a way to outpoint him. I don't think he knocks him out or anything, but I, I just think we're going to see an upset on, on Saturday. I do. I love it. I, I Look, I'm all for upsets. I love upsets. Um, and I, I'm certainly not a fan of Nonito Donaire. But, yeah. dude, I, I, have think... a, I am really struggling to see an upset in this one. <laughs> I'm glad that Lex is excited that I uh, finally threw something fucking crazy out there. Uh, but, Lex, uh... Lex is <laughs> beating his knee but, right like now. You, but <laughs> I, I predictably... Like, you guys know why I don't want Donaire to win this fight. I'm not even going to get too deep into it, so. Well, I mean, Gray is the one who gave the take, and he wasn't even willing to get deep into it. He just said what he said. Look, I don't I don't see it, but I if if I will gladly be the one to toot the, the <laughs> clairvoyance of one boxer at Gray if you actually are right about this. I mean, look, it's... Technically, like you said, numbers wise, this that wouldn't be that shocking, but like I think it would be very shocking. The undercard has actually some pretty interesting fights. Kujutio Abdukakarov, who I've never met anybody like everyone seems to feel very, very differently about this guy. I don't quite know how I feel about him. He is facing Cody Crowley, who uh I'm not the biggest fan of. <laughs> I uh Mr. Na- Mr. Natural Cures himself uh will be <laughs> in the ring. Uh yeah, uh I I if this is going to tell me a lot about uh Abdukakarov because if he doesn't get out does it, I'm not I'm, he needs to knock Crowley out in my opinion. Like I feel like the talent level is that wide. Um and he needs to be very impressive before we're going to really take him seriously at 147. Like not just beat him. Like he needs to stop this guy. I don't really think that highly of Cody Crowley. Yeah, well I think he needs to have that sort of like absolutely brutal performance here because yeah. Abdul Kakarov is like an IBF mandatory and yeah. if like you are like realistically going to even have your name mentioned in the same sentence as Errol Spence. You got to come in and make people think that there's a reason for Spence to have any concern about you. And beating Cody Crowley 97, 93 does nothing. In fact, it will make me think less of him. Yeah. I I agree with that. And, and, And vice versa. I mean, if Cody Crowley is about to be some dude that we care about and I really don't want to live in that world, but in the event that he does win, you also got to dominate this guy. And then Brandon Lee versus Juan Heraldez on the undercard. I think Heraldez is, um, I think at one point in time, Heraldez was a decent little fighter with some good skills, maybe not a lot of power, but definitely with skills. Brandon Lee, I don't know that he's got like the skills in the sweet science sense of the word, but he does have a knack for landing power punches. Um, I expect this to be a brutal one. Yeah. Uh, the only way it really gets interesting is if Heraldez can get out of the first three rounds. That's simple as that. I mean, if he can start making the fight go a little bit longer um, and take Brandon Lee uh, into a real fight, which Brandon Lee really hasn't had in his career, um, then, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I think from Brandon Lee's team's perspective, they see a 31-year-old guy uh, who got you know beat up by a man who gets a go-kart stuck in the mud all the time. They thought, you know what? Uh, if, if, if Regis can do it, I, he can do it. So, um, I definitely understand the logic behind the fight. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's either, it's going to be either really fascinating or like you said, 
Lee gets him out of there under three rounds. Brandon Lee's never fought over four rounds and hasn't fought past three in like three years. Yeah, it's a he needs rounds. Like it's I I don't know like it's gonna be a brute awakening for him. Whoever ends up taking taking him out in the ring. That's all okay, I'm say. but he did stop Dakota Linger, and you know who <laughs> didn't stop Dakota Linger? Omar Juarez. <laughs> Dakota Linger. I'm glad we're bringing up Dakota Linger on this show. Yes, uh, Dakota Linger usually goes the distance. I'll give him that. Uh, he. Oh yeah, that's right. He did fight on the. Um, yeah, fought on the the Herring undercard. Did and he got a I think uh any any fought on the Zapata Vargas undercard and got a draw. Good for him. What a goat! I know it's a it's a good little beast side a little beast sider. Dakota Linger looks like they picked his high school wrestling photo for his box oh, yeah. page. Wait a second. You picked his high school. I, no, I did not. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> the commission picked this photo. Do you know him, who his he... registered promoter is? Jerry Thomas? Jerry Thomas. Uh, done, he's been a longtime promoter in West Virginia, does tough man and boxing. He's been around forever. So... Most likely, a fighter from West Virginia has fought in that state. He's fought for Jerry Thomas at some point. Um, okay. And then, uh, so that's the Showtime card. I don't know how we got to Dakota Linger and West Virginia Pro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you're asking about Jerry Thomas. I'm just giving you the answer. Um, all right. And then uh, during the daytime, we have Connor Ben versus Chris Algieri. This is kind of like <laughs> a... Uh... It just makes me laugh. I don't know. This fight is cut from the same cloth as Brandon Lee and Juan Heraldis. To me, the Algerians still fighting. Like, like he's common. He's like to me, he's like a commentator. Like he's not a full time fighter anymore. He's and... basically like late career BJ Flores. Yeah, and you know, like Eddie dumped a bunch of money in his pocket, and he was like, "Yeah, all right, fuck it, I'll go in there and do it." But uh, yeah, I don't. He's not to me. He's not a full time. He's not a full time fighter. So if he's not a full-time fighter, then he's not going to have a good performance against Conor Benton, who is, uh, you know, been very carefully brought along. And there's a reason why he's fighting Chris Valcheri on Saturday. That's all, you know, pretty clear to me. Uh, Katie Taylor's on the undercard. Yeah, also, she's just, this girl she's fighting is not good. She's got a lot of Instagram followers, oh, though. For a reason, for a reason. Stand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, draw your, you know, we're implying here, listeners, but uh, uh, Katie Taylor's in a whole other league. And I actually wouldn't be stopped. She wouldn't be surprised if Katie actually, for once, gets a stoppage here. Stop the pot and peep that IG, Katie Taylor's opponent. Um, and then Hammerin' Hank Lundy is on the undercard. Is there a story that someone knows here as to why Hammerin' Hank is appearing on yet another card? Um, I think he was supposed to get a fight out in the UK before and it didn't happen i got i can't he was remember who's Lewis ritson and then they they, yes. they slid a note under his hotel <laughs> door which is very like cartel leaders like behavior it's so carny um i guess this is their way of well so that was that was not with eddie though so no, that it was not with eddie that was not with eddie so maybe Eddie heard that and was like, I guess we'll try and make things right for even, you know, for this guy to get a payday. Uh, I mean, 
you know, Robbie Davies Jr. is just in that. It, it kind of makes sense. I think him and Lundy are in that same level. So I think it will be a, like a fun, you know, little 10 rounder. But, uh, you know, I'm glad Hank Lundy is in a fight where he can potentially win instead of being put in there to, you know, lose. Um, like he can definitely fight. All right. And then uh, we also have. Dimitri Bivol versus Umar Salamov. Do we know if our friend Corey is calling this one? I think he is. Uh, I mean, I just assume Corey calls every fight that's taking place in Russia these days. <laughs> they, just, they just have his number on speed dial. Comrade uh, Corey. Comrade Corey. Yeah, it doesn't matter who the promoter is in Russia. They all just know him as like the, um, the Canadian, and they call him up. And they're like, all right, Corey, we need you for this one. Um, Salamov. Uh, like, I like his beard. He kind of looks like, uh, you know, that's a scary man. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I haven't really seen a lot of video of him. I don't really like his chances. Uh, just because it's Bivol. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bivol's good. Um, first of all. Second of all, Bivol knows how to basically force the fight into a very particular style, and yeah. um, I don't think Salomov got the skills to do anything with it. You know what's uh, one thing that people don't talk about is that Bibble is already 30. Mm-hmm. And like, it feels like it was just yesterday. He was 26 year old and then he's done nothing with his career for like four years. <laughs> COVID doesn't help. That's uh, all no, it, it, it doesn't. No, he's one of those guys that definitely uh, didn't help that uh, the dates were limited and he wasn't on the top of the list to get a shot. Gee, you wonder why. Yeah, right. Um, and then Magomed Kurbanov will face mm. Patrick Teixeira. Is Magomed Kurbanov about to be a guy at the 154-pound division that we're saying everyone is scared to fight? That's so dumb if that's the case. Because I, I actually thought he didn't really impress me against Liam Smith. I think if that fight was in the UK, and that, and if that same fight happened in the UK, Liam Smith would have won. Like, just... just frankly the scorecards would have flopped the other way that's it's one of those fights where neither guy like really stood out to me um but yeah if you're if you're saying that you're just you're just looking at his box rec record in my opinion you're not actually watching video of him because i don't i don't i i do think he'll beat Tashera, but uh i don't think he should be the, the the guy that everybody fears like that's that's such a stupid narrative i mean like many boxing fans though are like that lex which oh, which oh. fight on this card are you most looking forward to if we were on the Patreon chat, I would just post the Snoop Dogg who gif. Like, that's what I was thinking the last, like, five minutes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I know a lot of you. Yeah, I was going to say, like, a lot of fans feel that way. I, I, I totally understand. I mean, of all the fights. Uh... No, on, on the Russian card. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant, like, everything you just mentioned. The Russian card? I don't know, man. That's like. Edward Skavinsky? <laughs> <laughs> Against TVA? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's uh... okay. Real talk. I like Edward Skavinsky. I don't know anything about him. He's 30 years old, but I always mix him up for this other. I don't know if he's Ukrainian or Russian, but there's a guy who fought on a lot of PBC cards early and then just kind of disappeared. I don't know what happened to him, <laughs> but I don't remember his name, but it's a similar name to, to this. Like it's, it's something Skavinsky similar to that name. But like, obviously, as an American, you can't expect me to actually memorize this stuff. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I mean, there's a lot of those guys that kind of come and go. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, and then I, I imagine the card that Gray's most excited about, I know for a fact this is the card that Lex is most excited about. That is hmm. the return of Richard Comey as he faces um, little-known lightweight contender <laughs> Vasily Lomachenko. Uh, <laughs> Lomachenko. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they gotta, they gotta do a, they gotta do a like, guest honor. Not, do not cut that out. <laughs> I just bleep it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, I, 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 listen. I think this fight becomes more intriguing just because of like how one thirty, the craziness of one thirty-five in these last two weeks. So I, I think all of a sudden people are like really starting to believe like there man there's a chance that richard comey is gonna land a bomb on lomachenko and to be honest that's that's gonna be his best chance is uh you know is he gonna clip lomachenko uh you know uh what is lomachenko still got at 33 um you know the nakatani fight didn't really show me didn't ring any red flags for me um but i mean Listen, uh, other than, you know, getting caught clipped by Tiafimo, you know, Kome has always been competitive, even losses. So um, I'm excited for this one. And uh, I, I, I could I definitely either see a knockout for Kome or, you know, Lomachenko just kind of does his, does his shit for 12 rounds. All right. So as much as I like Kome, and I really do, and I <laughs> love the people I know that know him, you know, it was his manager, Michael Adubidiaco. Bidiaku. That's all well and good, but like who has Richard Comey like come out here and clipped? Well, I mean, the only thing he really showed us is that he, he clipped the guy that Rolling <laughs> got a gift again, so that doesn't say all. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm convinced now he beat a guy that <laughs> Rolly also did. This man's ready, brother. Um yeah, I mean between him and it's like him and Beltran are the are the best wins on his record. So he looks great against mid level. You know, uh, what about Alejandro Luna? Oh, Alejandro Luna. Good. That was a title eliminator too. So that's mm-hmm. a nice little dive. I forgot about Alejandro Luna because just because he like disappeared. But uh, okay, that's a good one. Throw that out there too. So I mean, he looks like I said, he looks competitive and good against uh, the, the 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 top you know, 15, top 20, but we're not talking top 15, top 20. We're talking top five. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a big ask uh, for him to, to pull this off on Saturday. My question is this, like, when, whoever wins, but I, when, I, when I say that, I mean Lomachenko, but whoever wins on, on Saturday night, do you think people are going to beat the drum that that's the number one guy at lightweight? If they do, they're... That's goofy. Only, no, only, only if Lomachenko wins. You don't think that people will say that if Kome wins? Nah. No. They'll, they'll, listen, Hell listen. no. I, no, no, no. I, I know. I think I have a good grasp on the type of people who will like sing this song. If Lomachenko wins, he's the number one guy again, or like the guy that Tank has to see. And if Kome wins, Lomachenko is just washed. Yeah. Yeah, you could, you to can't, me, that's no one, the storyline. No one will say Kome is number one because the you know he'll always have been clipped by Tia Fimo. So uh, 
I agree. I think that's, I agree with you on that. I think that's the narrative. I think people are going to overvalue. Uh, if Lomachenko gets him out really fast, okay, maybe I kind of get it. But if he's just like going to outpoint him and stuff, and it's like a, you know, 117, 111 type fight, like, come on, guys, pump the brakes. But it's not even about like the, the way 135 is like forming. Tank is creating distance between his counterparts and, yeah, we all know what top rank loves to do. Top rank loves to take their guys and say, "PVC guys are scared of them." Right, they create so their. I think it's important for yeah. top rank that Lomachenko wins, so they yeah. can run their like their old playbook, and you know, get uh get Lomachenko back in the mix, and then maybe they get the rematch. I doubt it with Teofimo, or later on down the line, maybe they get Shakur versus Lomachenko. If you don't defend uh, Lomachenko properly here, Evan Korn is going to be in your DMs, Gray. So listen, keep that in mind. Oh, you said Gray. <laughs> I invite Evan Korn. No, 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 no. I mean, Gray. Evan is not DMing you, okay? Yeah. He's not. I, no, no I, he don't want to do that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Cut this out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Lex, Lex, is, gotta, Lex wants to fight here. Relax, gotta, Lex. Um, and also, don't don't count out so that top ring could make a very, very compelling offer. For Cambosos to, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure they're looking at the best offer. And if the money is right, that fight could get made. So don't don't count that out completely. Yeah, top Listen, rank known for wait, offering wait, wait, top dollar. To wait, I'm happy I know. we made it this far without even talking about Cambosos. That was good. Why would we? He didn't fight this weekend. Because we're talking about 135. We're talking about Tank, the big money guy. Everyone's loving Cambosos. And I don't have beef with that. He seems like a great dude. But, like, he is the new darling, and I think it's neat. I think it's good. We made it this far without bringing his name up. It was good. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's he's he's got the belts. I mean, you know what? I would be so happy if he just went to Australia and just spent the rest of his life defending the titles down there. <laughs> Chris John style? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just exactly. Just finding Nando's and, like, <laughs> just shit like that. And, like, picking the number 15 guy in the division, like, uh, uh, in, the, like, the IBF or something. Mm. Like, I would make me, that would make me so happy. That would like, be, like, just... the Felix Sturm playbook? Oh, the Felix, yeah, the Felix Sturm, like, you, like early two thousand, like, early 2000s, late 90s, Universal playbook that they did with the WBO when they, like, basically ran that company. Um, you can keep that in. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think... Like, we need to go back to those. We need to have a champion or two that just drives everyone crazy on Twitter because they just want to fight in their home city and take the easiest fights possible. Like I don't blame the guy if he does that. Fucking, he's fought three times on the road. You know, he said he did his he did his work. But I also think he'll probably just chase money, and that's also smart too. Just See, get paid. I think that they're like, is Cambozos a favorite over Lomachenko or Tank or Devin Haney or Ryan Garcia? No. Um... Maybe not an underdog on all four, but he will definitely be an underdog for some of those, like when the line gets made. Because the reason why I say that is like, how long do they want to keep the train going? Do they do they really want to throw him into the fire and risk losing this very quickly? I mean, although you could say, well, if even just having these titles now, he's already a made guy in Australia. And he'll yeah. be one of the bigger draws that in Australian history or something like that. Then fine, okay. Yeah, just go do. I just say go do that for him. Like if he wants to just do that, like good for him. Like if he can really, if he can actually draw like giant crowds down there, yeah, he should go do that. Because why the fuck not? I'm with you. I think like 
do a couple defenses. Get yeah. get some wins and, and milk this. I would yeah, milk go, it. Go fight. Yeah, his next fight should be in front of he, he's earned it the right to defend the title in front of his fans in Australia. Like and and become a star down there. Like this is a big deal for that country and for boxing. They don't have a you know, when you when you're when you when you had to deal with Anthony Mundine's bullshit for, for two decades, I'm sure this is refreshing. Whoa, 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 okay. You're trying to tell me that the people who are hyped up about Justice Uni are uh <laughs> Come on now. I forgot about Justice Hooney. Oh, boy. And Joe Parker. And Oh, he's New Zealand. But Joe Boxer yeah. Parker from New Zealand also has a side job. Distributor. <laughs> um, I don't know what we would classify that as, but he's in the import-exporting business. Is that <laughs> Joe Vanderlei? <laughs> um, no, but I... I I, I maybe one of my if I, if I do have one serious gripe with sanctioning bodies like my my like soapbox to get on is that anyone who newly wins a title should immediately be granted like one voluntary defense. I don't right. care how long the person who was the mandatory was waiting. When you win a title, you should get a voluntary. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day because of those stupid rules the belts just get vacated right away anyway that's just how it is you know well, like so. some things are out of your control like if let, let's say uh and i think this might have even happened during covid but like let's say you were the mandatory for a year and a half you finally get your shot you get injured the week before the fight the opponent um who's a champion faces a, a replacement like mm-hmm. you're the one who got injured. Sorry, you gotta. You waited this long. You have to wait another six months while this guy gets a voluntary out of the the way. Yeah, yeah. Before you get your shot. I mean, I think that's just how it should work. But obviously, the sanctioning bodies are allergic to making sense. <laughs> that that is true. You guys know that like the WBC wanted to use the franchise title the way the WBA uses their super titles. Oh yeah, I know they want to do that. Uh, that's exactly why it was created. More, more, more sanctioning fees. I don't, I don't have beef with the franchise titles. I just don't like how. Uh, I don't think they did it the right way. That makes sense. There, there was no like, right way to, to do a, it. No, look. I, here's my theory. I think they did it to help guys like guys who help support certain promoters' business to keep them free from mandatory. So for for that, I like it. But I don't. I think if the WBC wanted to do it fairly, they should have went to each promoter and be like, "Listen, if you have a WBC champion, we'll franchise one per per PBC, one per top rank, one per what Golden Boy, f- one per zone and that's that." I did, I don't agree with that. I, no. I just think it's a cynical ploy to have the major fighters show up to have to show up to other fundraiser shit and do all their you know PR stuff and. Yeah, just away from the. Oh yeah, I forgot about that part of it. Yeah, they have to do all this stuff as the franchise yeah. champ. So it's all it's all about money. It's all a money making scheme at the end of the day. That's all it is. That's it's. it's sorry if that sounds cynical, but that's really what it is. And but they, in my opinion, they've done even more egregious things uh, than the franchise champion. That so this not saying it's small potatoes and to the other stuff that I have problems with that I'm not going to bother talking about on this podcast and boring you guys, but. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's. I agree with you. I, I think it was just they they wanted to do it just like the WBA. I agree. <clears throat> yeah, I think. Um, I don't think that there was a good way to implement the franchise title because they 
got off on the wrong foot with it. But look, I love the idea of certain fighters. We just it doesn't make sense for us to enforce the same rules. And as as like weird as that sounds, like Canelo shouldn't just shouldn't have to play by the mandatory rules. And I know that that kind of muddies yeah. up the the pathway for guys to get title shots. But at the same time, this is prize fighting and this is a business. Yeah. And do you want him to vacate your title? Or do you want and you or do you want to look like the prick and vacate or strip him? Yeah, nobody wins. Yep, he's he's in a league. He's beyond the the, the mandatories. I legit, but like you take somebody like Juan Francisco Estrada, like get that out of here. And he didn't even win his last <laughs> fight, <laughs> at least to me. So um, I want to I'm going to hijack this conversation about the rest of this card and go. How excited are you, Angelo, for Nico Ali? To open up the show after <laughs> Ice Trophy presentation, guys. How are we feeling? Give me, give me your, give me, give me that uh, temperature check. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> who's fighting? Uh, yeah, uh, Ali's grandson is fighting. Michelle Rivera. I thought he was with Samson in PBC. <laughs> Dude, is it? Is it? The, it's such a cynical ratings grab and i kind of have to i, I kind of love it well because you're a carny exactly exactly you, the carny the carny the carny the carny part of me is just r- rubbing his hands and loving this and i it's so like it makes so much sense to me that they're gonna hype this up during the during the uh you know the presentation that ali's grandson is next and then and then they get to see the product <laughs> and then he loses to some guy from kansas there's a very good chance he loses this weekend, in my opinion. Okay, look, yeah. Lex, I know, cover your ears, uh, but like, there's so many things that Top Rank does that I do find to be this level of shrewdness, like with just no shame. But it's just like, how do you not do that? It's the I'm not dude. They've always done this stuff: Butterbean, Mia St. John, yeah. uh, Ty Fields. They've done this is this is nothing new. Like this Chavez is what, Jr. Chavez Jr. <laughs> at the beginning of his career. <laughs> yeah. And before before he like fucking somehow he beat Andy Lee. Uh to this day. Still don't understand. Um yeah, no, there there's always that like carnival aspect to their stable of fighters, and this has been sorely missing from them for a while. So I'm super excited to uh tommy uh, zaboski that football player i'm gonna throw him out there too the one guy played for the ravens holy crap that's uh, that that's the the fighter that inspired seth mitchell to take up boxing that's so fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'm like i'm like i think like this stuff's so carny and so circus and so fucking ridiculous and i i like i said there's that or that but that i i'm i'm definitely have that little promoter inside of me that's like yeah, let's do this. I can't wait for this four rounder because it's just like I see. It's just like the fights I call all the time in New Hampshire. It's gonna be that level, and to see it on a national stage and to see people reacting and tweeting about it on, in real time, like this is a dream for me. So that's why I needed to talk about it. I'm done now. You think Peter's like? Uh... I, what is? What's the big play with Nico Walsh for real? I've, I genuinely have no idea. I think it's. To, I think they're gonna try and see how long this can, can last. And uh, if they can get him to ten round level, that's bizarre, incredible. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, what's more entertaining than me or to me than the, the actual fights is watching like uh, 
what's my guy's name on Twitter for top rank, like defending all the Nico uh, Walsh hate? He has to. That's what he's paid to do. What's his yeah. name, man? Not not Evan Corn. Not the Corn. Are you talking Moretti? Or Trampler. He's not, probably talking Trampler. Trampler Trampler's yeah, got Trampler, super Trampler, thin Trampler. skin. Trampler goes good, good, good. so hard for Nico Walsh. Oh, my God. It's I, I get, from a PR storytelling perspective, I get it, but man, that product is uh, they they have a lot of work to do, and uh, they putting him right after the Heisman Trophy presentation is not setting him up to succeed. Like you, Ed, your mind. Wait, now can you hold believe on? Hold on, hold on. That- Are you saying that this isn't an upgrade over Michael Conlon last year? <laughs> I forgot that was the, that was last year. Jesus. Because people turn the card off at that point. I, I think that yeah. this is a good move. It's smart. It's shrewd. I mean, Hell should yeah. Jared Anderson be in this position? Absolutely. But yeah. but in terms of like, do you have like a story to tell that people are going to be familiar with and invested in very quickly? Because they really don't have a lot of time to convince people to watch the rest of this card. I think it's a it's a good decision. My question is, are they going to take a lot of time with Mark Kriegel segments and all that stuff and like waste the lead in that they're going to get? I hope not. I hope they just go right into the fight and just go and just do it. And then you're like, I every guy, you know, I understand why we goes there. Jared and Keyshawn Davis. I totally get why they're all being shown on TV for this. Like totally makes sense. But if they're going to do like a 20 minute vignette, Unlike Ali's and stuff, like I'm gonna lose my shit. They're gonna do it. They're gonna definitely at least give us seven minutes of like Muhammad Ali clips and the Stop history it. of Ali with top rank and stuff. I think we get we're gonna get it. And then this I'm is more, a spawn. I'm more excited to see Jared Anderson, and I do think he'll get his opponent out in under three rounds. So I'm excited to see a big old big old heavyweight KO on this card. Box wreck gray dropping the subtle betting tip. That's right. Take that under. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I love the idea of putting Nico there. Do I think I'm gonna enjoy the actual fight? No. Do I think he's good? No. Um, but you know, he's still youngish, so maybe things could turn turn around, right? <laughs> no. Oh, that was an uncomfortable silence. Nope. I'm I'm, t- I'm not being silent. I'm saying it's not gonna happen. I, I'm, I just can't wait to see who gets the opportunities against him because I love the club scene and I think we're going to see a lot of guys get some shots and I'm pumped. So my question is, who's Mike Joyce? He's the listed manager of Nico Walsh and oh, he's got a Celtic boxing uh, email address? Uh, I've never heard of it. I, 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 I think he's probably a regional guy, uh, but I'm, I'm not familiar. I, I, I guess he's from Chicago, it looks like, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that scene. All right, guys, um, let me ask you this question. Let's say that we've come to find that this was all an elaborate like hoax and that Nico actually has no connection to Muhammad Ali and these are all like photoshops and stuff. <laughs> How shocked would you guys be? Not at all. <laughs> and I, 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 I would respect, I respect Top Rank a lot. <laughs> no, like even Top Rank was fooled. Oh, you mean he fooled? Uh, hey, that, that wouldn't be the first time Top Rank's been uh, fooled by a boxer. Go, go Google Joey Torres, uh, FBI. <laughs> 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 hey, that was pretty, Angela. 
that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, we are going. Make sure you put boxing there too. <laughs> yeah, Otherwise, I mean, you're I... gonna find out uh, a, a a corrupt mayor. <laughs> no, I was gonna say okay. Yeah. Make sure you add the po- yeah boxing. Maybe Arizona too. Uh, and you'll find a phenomenal story. Anyway, we'll wrap it up right here. Um, hope you guys aren't too offended by the stuff that got edited out. Um, we had to do it in order to save some careers. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Gray, Lex, thanks for coming on. Always have a blast talking with you two guys. And it was good to get you guys here together. Anything thank you. you guys want to shout out? I'll let Lex, Lex go. Mm, I'm blank on shout outs, man. To be honest. You don't want to shout out shout your out girlfriend. To Sunday, shout out to Sunday Boxing. Shout out to Sunday Boxing. Not Sunday Puncher, but Sunday Boxing. Yeah, don't shout us out. Shout out the, the day of boxing on Sunday, the Lord's <laughs> Day. Shout out, to, shout out to Sunday existing. Um, uh, just uh, follow me on Twitter at Gray. Thank you if you already do. Appreciate um, all the all the support. Thank you for having me on the show, Angelo. Thanks for doing this podcast. Uh, you know, any anything to make the sport better is uh, always welcome in my eyes, and that's what you guys do, and I well, appreciate it. That's what uh, Top Rank is doing this this Saturday with Nico Ali Walsh. Gets me out, gets me <laughs> gets me out of the house, man. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um. And I do want to say that your Twitter is like uh, odd, 